electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, dramatic fallout from the FTX fiasco. What's the next crypto domino to fall? And what'll happen to Sam Bankman-Fried? The wheels of justice uh, uh, turn very slowly. That was not a, it was nice, uh, not a nice looking prison or jail in Bahamas. And airlines are a long way from 2020. Delta CEO Ed Bastian. We've just been through our recession, the deepest recession in this industry's 100-year history. How far they've come and what's still ahead. We will be the most profitable airline in the industry, $2.6 billion of profit this year. Those stories, plus Twitter's former CEO is speaking out, and its current CEO has a lot on his plate. How Elon Musk is juggling Twitter, Tesla, and all of his stakeholders. For years, you would never buy a Tesla, remember? Yeah. It's Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. SBF. We got to start calling him Samuel Bankman-Fried. Yep. I think. Did you see that? Not Freed. Let's get to the latest from the Bahamas on the arrest of FTX founder uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, Kate Rooney joins us now. Hi, Kate. Hey, Joe, good morning. Sam Bankman-Fried is now in a correctional facility in the Bahamas after his request for bail was denied by a judge yesterday. The magistrate judge there in the Bahamas citing heightened flight risk. The former FTX CEO will remain in that jail until his next court appearance. That'll be over arguments for extradition scheduled now for February 8th. Anything you'd like to say? Bankman Freed was first taken into custody in the Bahamas Late on Monday, the night before he was set to testify in front of the House Financial Services Committee here in, Wa- in uh, Washington, guys, he faces eight criminal charges out of the Southern District of New York, with authorities alleging he defrauded investors by funneling FTX customer money into his hedge fund, Alameda. Behind their backs, the CFTC and SEC also filed parallel civil lawsuits yesterday. And in a statement, his lawyers said Bankman Freed is reviewing charges with his legal team and considering all of his legal options. FTX's new CEO, meanwhile, John Ray, who led Enron through bankruptcy after its collapse, did appear before Congress yesterday. The committee will come to order investigating the collapse of FTX part one. And ripped into Bankman Freed's management. This is really old fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. This is just plain old embezzlement. The Senate, meanwhile, plans to hold its own hearing on FTX today here in D.C. Back to you. It's a lot of money. Uh, And we've talked about it before on this show because one of Andrew's favorite movies is Brewster's Millions. And you, you, yes, he, had to, you know, he had to spend a certain amount. So you can't spend $7 billion. So, so there must have been trading losses. That's got to be part of it. Or it's somewhere. Is it somewhere? And, and do, do we have any hope that customers uh, are made half whole, a third whole, 
all the way whole. So John Ray, the new CEO, has been talking about using forensic investigators to track this. But one of the the hard things about this, you'd think because it's cryptocurrency, there's a lot of talk about blockchain and how it's easily traceable. It's ironic that this is a crypto company. And one forensic investigator I talked to said it sort of looks like a blob on the blockchain. You can't really track it internally. So they're having a hard time really parsing through what happened here at FTX following the money trail. What option for customers to get their money back would be some sort of buyout. John Ray has also mentioned that they are open to, to some sort of deal um, and rescue package at this point for FTX. But it seems like right now he didn't have a lot of answers as to exactly where it went. There were calls from regulators and lawmakers yesterday to return the money. Uh, if you're either a politician or a company that's taken funding from FTX, saying that really belonged to customers, get in touch with the Southern District of New York to return it. And, but it's not clear right now if customers will be made whole and at what point. It could take years. Well, you got campaign finance laws. He gave a lot, but you can't give billions. You, you, didn't, you can't he spend... Was, he was using other people's names to, to do yeah, something. So they're going to get him on campaign finance. You're not even at $10 million there. You, and you, the real estate is not okay, more than... Some of this had to go to money heaven. If you were, that's where if I, you think, were doing I think. I think it lost. I think he lost FTT, it. The FTT token. Right. I mean, I some gone. of that was like fake money that was probably never there. Right. It's the customer funds that you got to worry and about. And I think you're also thinking about a whole double counting situation. Kate, I was going to ask you just about the timing now of the extradition process, whether you imagine that Sam Bankman fried is going to object to the extradition, or by the way, whether he may at some point could simply just plead guilty to, to all of it, um, or whether he, he's going to you know, contest it. So, Andrew, based on what we heard out of the court in Bahamas yesterday, his legal team appears to want to fight extradition, and that should delay this entire case, I mean, at least until February, which is the next court date to talk about extradition. If he fights it, that could push back any sort of arraignment. I was talking to um, some white-collar lawyers yesterday who said, usually there's an arraignment, you, you got your plea, guilty or not guilty, and then the wheels are set in motion. In this case, the extradition is going to pad on months, if not up to a year, in terms of just the arraignment. So it is a way to delay things here. Although, you know, until he is extradited, he is in jail in the Bahamas. They said he's a flight risk. So at this point, he's sitting in a correctional facility. But his legal team seems to want to fight it and uh, not clear the reasoning behind that and the advantage. But he's, um, if anything, they're kicking the can down the road here. My guess would be they use it as a negotiation tactic at some point. Um, but, but yeah, it, he was saying he wanted out and he should be released on bail because of his vegan diet and his ADD. And that did not fly. He's a vegan. Uh, the wheels of justice are, are turned very slowly. You know, they, back, but their things that are backed up. A, it was nice, a, not a nice-looking prison in, or jail in Bahamas. I think it's I, pretty, a, a pretty, in this case, it's pretty get a, You can't arraign anyone for, it, it's December 14th. We're talking about February 8th. You, you got no days available between now and February. That's like, for your, huh? It's time to prepare for I know, but, but it, it just... And, it's, and it, again, it's not like he's Elizabeth Holmes is, around. When's her appeal? She's still out for like another eight, nine months. But you know, I'll bet it goes quickly for the people that are headed to the big house. I bet you that it's like the eight months. Hanging of, over your head. Yeah, hanging over your and head. And by the way, he's sitting in... Sitting in custody. You said it doesn't point. look nice. It's not a... I saw a picture of it yesterday. It's not on the cut, not an ocean view. No. No. So... So you have to decide Bahamian prison or uh, Rikers? I don't know. Where would he be? Where was Southern District? When that door slams. That's a good question. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty uh, 
you can tell you you can try and open it, but it right. it does not. Loss of freedom is is as bad as where you are. Well, maybe it's worse if you got you know a lot of people around. I don't know. In the meantime, deposits are returning and. Things seem to have stabilized at Binance, at least according to the CEO, CZ. He said on Twitter, yesterday was not the highest withdrawals we processed, not even top five. Now deposits are coming back in. Yeah, okay. Ms. Sam Bankman-Fried was making a lot of comments about how everything was fine there, too. We'll see how this plays out. Those comments came, though, after the exchange temporarily paused withdrawals of the USDC stablecoin. That's their own token. In a statement, Binance said yesterday's media-fueled market sell-off resulted in approximately $1.14 billion being withdrawn from our platform in a 12-hour period, which was managed with ease. We passed this extreme stress test because we run a very simple business model, hold assets in custody, and generate revenue from transaction fees. Regardless of whether the price of Bitcoin goes to a dollar or a million dollars, users' assets will always be held safely in custody through the moment that they decide to close out their position. Now, if you read the SEC filing yesterday, that complaint, a lot of those similar statements were made by Sam Bankman-Fried. That is not to say that Binance is doing anything like what was going on at FTX, but all of these issues and the focus around it have certainly created some investor concerns about what happens if you are offshore, if you're not a U.S. regulated entity what happens and what it means with some of these things. You are putting your trust in these people, and sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it may not be. I think we should start calling him by his full name. Or he probably should Ping insist on Yeah, he Ping should probably out. insist on that. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to, unless you're following you directly be, in right. the footsteps of SBF. Cheng Ping, Cheng Ping. The truth is we don't know any of this. This is what they are saying at this point. And we'll take it at its word for where we see things. But I will say all of that same language was used by Sam Bankman-Fried right. in the FTX issues, even tweets that he posted and then later removed that are mentioned in the SEC filing. So he still supposedly is worth $17.4 billion. Think that's real? Depends what you think the valuation of, um, of Binance is. Is it uh, the, the Binance it's, token, yeah. Well, it's a, no, well, Binance token look too, which it. is supporting the valuation of, of Binance. Binance. Right. Is it Zimbabwe $17 billion? That's like $4, maybe less. Uh, it's just conjecture at this point. Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey speaking out about problems at Twitter when he was the CEO. And now, in a new blog post, Dorsey said he was adding his voice to the discussion around the, quote, Twitter files, those internal communications at the company that new CEO Elon Musk started releasing just this past month. Dorsey said he's come to believe in three principles. He says, one, social media must withstand corporate and government control. Two, he says the author is the only person who can remove content they produce. And three, he says moderation is best implemented by algorithmic choice. Dorsey said that the Twitter that he led and the Twitter of today do not meet any of those principles. Dorsey said he personally abandoned his efforts to push the company in the right direction after activist firm Elliott Management got involved with the company more than two years ago regarding Twitter's decision to suspend former President Trump. Dorsey said he believes there was no ill will or hidden agendas. I take him at his word, but I have three thoughts. I didn't really understand the blaming Elliott management as, as I understand that's why he wanted to leave the company, but the idea that that was the reason that he was like unable to actually do the things he wanted to, that I, because this goes back much longer than 2020. Two, the idea of moderation, if you believe in any form of moderation, 
this idea of self-moderation. It's not that you are going to moderate what you're writing onto the system. It's that you are supposed to moderate what you see. Is sort of actually a very hard responsibility to put onto others. Now, I understand the rationale of if you're trying to have a sort of free speech platform. Oh, is it like Wikipedia type of? But, well, I think what he's suggesting is that you're going to follow people, and if they write things that you don't like, you're going to block them or unfollow them. Uh, you can maybe indicate that you like a, a G-rated version of Twitter where they're not going to send you, you know, certain things. And if you want to be in the brawl, you go participate in that version of Twitter. Um, but again, I think it's very hard to put the... I think, look, it's complicated on all sides. It's, it's hard to prevent the person from speaking. You don't necessarily want that on one side. But the idea that the, pers the, the person on the receiving end is somehow going to be the moderator of it all is also um, just from a very practical perspective, a very hard thing to do. My takeaway on it was Jack was running two companies for a very long time. There were a lot of questions about whether he could be an effective CEO at both of them, and maybe this answers that question. You know, there's another guy that's running about six Seven companies, companies right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I but, never but I really. Think Jack kind of took himself out but in a lot of these discussions. Not having thought it through, I, I've always thought Twitter was kind of just a simple little thing that, oh yeah, it's fun and we do this and it's a. New, it's a I never realized the number of far-reaching implications, implications and consequences to it, and because um, you're basically publishing, you're self-publishing stuff, and you know, you, you, there has to be. I mean, it's not just anything goes. It, it can't be. But then again, you want to get as close to anything goes as you can. So it's... So it's know. uncomfortable. It's uh, in one man... And there's all a big Rorschach, too. And you definitely don't want totally one-sided people, you know, controlling what it is that you're able to see. But I don't know if you want it to be every vile thought that everyone's ever had I, amplified. The, if I look for one word for what Twitter is, it's a cesspool, so... I said that for a long time. Um, by the way, there's a great column. I was trying to find it. There's a great column uh, by Ezra Klein this weekend about Twitter that's actually worth reading. No matter, no matter what your view of it all is, it will make you think in all sorts of pretty interesting ways. Cheese will be next. Coming up, Delta CEO Ed Bastian. Everybody's on planes. Business travelers are on planes and international travelers are on the world's getting back together and it's going to continue. On traffic in the skies and the new contract for pilots that could see 30% in pay raises following years of negotiations. I think it's an overhang on our industry, these open contracts and the unrest. We talk about labor being the biggest constraint in this country at the cost of labor and the access to labor. Pilots are the most constrained resource and the highest paid resource. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Travelers are back in full force after nearly three difficult pandemic years once quiet airlines are profitable again. Consumers are ready to hit the skies and they're willing to pay for it, which is translated to an upbeat fiscal quarter for airlines. Today, at Delta's Investor Day, CEO Ed Bastian announced the company expects earnings to nearly double in 2023. Delta set to report a bigger quarterly profit this December as well. So in a couple of years, a lot has changed. From 2020's record loss to an anticipated $4 billion in free cash flow in 2024, but a lot of other things have changed as well, including pilot satisfaction. The United States is in the midst of a serious pilot shortage, so bad that unions threatened to strike in October if airlines didn't meet pilots' needs. Earlier this month, Delta and its pilots reached a tentative agreement, still pending union approval. The deal would raise pilot pay more than 30 percent over four years if both sides agree to implement it. Now, Delta rivals like United and American have a template for their respective deals, and maybe you and I would see some lower airfares. Our auto and aviation correspondent, Phil LeBeau, joined Squawk Box this morning morning on set with Delta CEO Ed Bastian. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. It's time to talk uh, guidance, fourth quarter, and more importantly, what you guys are seeing for 23 and 24. Uh, and I think we're at that time of year, not just for you guys, but for the entire industry that I think people are wondering, do we see the strength that we saw this year accelerate into 23 and 24? Uh, and you guys see really continuing both in terms of corporate as well as the leisure demand, right? Yeah. Well, we were here a year ago. It was a year ago. Uh, this week, a year ago, that we were here, we unveiled a three-year plan. It was our recovery plan. Right. And I'm thrilled to say, while 22 was a crazy year, that we hit our first-year targets. Our profitability targets, in fact, slightly ahead of plan on that. Our cash flow targets. Uh, we will be the most profitable airline in the industry. $2.6 billion of profit this year. And we're going to be doubling next year, our EPS that we earned this year into next year, which is already in, in accordance with plan. So we see strong continued demand. We can talk about that. We see the continued improvement of business travel you know, into the next year. We see international markets continuing to open in Asia and other, in Latin America, other places. So we have a very healthy outlook. We were talking before we came on about transatlantic, how strong it's been. And I asked you what you're seeing in Asia. You said what we saw with transatlantic as it started to open up and the demand that's there. You're now seeing in most of Asia, obviously China is its own separate uh, entity in terms of what's happening there, but you're seeing that trans-Pacific, correct? We are seeing the same human behaviors that we saw in this country this spring when people felt it was time to start traveling and demand exploded in every country around the world. It doesn't matter whether it's Japan, Korea, Australia, the UK, Germany, people were ready to go, and they're going. How confident are you? I mean, obviously, fourth quarter, you know, probably first and second quarter, you've got a lot of bookings, so you can really see the yeah. demand that's there. Trying to see what's going to happen in 24 seems like it'd be a trickier picture with demand. If we get a, a global recession in the second half of 23 into 24, what would that do to demand? Are, are you still coming back so strongly from the post-COVID situation that it, that it wouldn't be anything like what we've seen before? Or what, what are the risks there, just in terms of the demand? Picture? So everyone you've talked to says in travel and hospitality, it's stronger than and people are trying to figure why we're defying the trends that you're seeing in other parts of the economy. There's a several things. First of all, we've just been through our recession. 
the deepest recession in this industry's 100-year history. So we're still coming out of that, so that's, that's one. Second, the move between goods and experiences. The service economy is real. It's significant. We talked about it a year ago when we presented our three-year plan that we thought it was going to happen. It's happened actually even faster. But the third thing, I'm going to spend time with our investors this morning walking them through. If you look at the relationship of air travel demand to GDP in this country, it's at 1.3% and has been per year for the last 40 years. You can go back the last 40 years and year in and year out. It broke with 9-11 for maybe, you know, maybe about a year, but came right back on trend. Softened a little bit with the uh, recession, 2008-9, actually overcorrected by 2011. If you look at the pandemic period, these last three years, you look at what the inherent demand would have been, should have been, versus what it actually was, that gap is $300 billion for our industry. Now, I was looking at it as years for how long to work off this rebound from the pandemic. It is, it is, I think it's five years. It's going to be a lot longer than a higher plateau. A higher yeah. plateau than even before. Significantly. And it's, the, it's like the anti-Peloton. It's like the anti Those were supposed to, they were going to go forever yeah. during the pandemic. Now they're gone, basically. Yeah. And, well, and, not gone. And you're going to be the, the converse of that. You're I, gonna, I, I think we're right, Joe. I mean, if you look at 2019, how much the economy has grown from 2019 to 2023, it's up. 15 to 20 percent. Do you like watching estimates? Meta go down because no one's putting those goggles on? They're actually, <laughs> they're actually going to those places? Every, everybody's on planes. And business travelers are on planes and international travelers are on and The world's getting back together and it's going to continue. So, so if I were to, to kind of narrow down just to next year, what that gap is, if, if we just get to 1.3 percent in 23, that's $30 billion of additional revenue for our industry next year over this year. What's and that's with no catch up. What's gonna to happen to capacity over the next three years? Because part of the, part of the conundrum is there, there is great demand, it's great for you, yeah. but there's also not enough capacity anymore. Well, capacity constraints are real. And listen, we're not holding it. We tried this spring, you saw what happened. Yep. I mean, it broke. I mean, we had, to, we had to dial it back and so it's still pretty fragile. Uh, pilots are the biggest constraint, the resources. I think that's going to continue to be mm -hmm. a resource constraint for several years. Not as much the big guys like us, but as you go down the chain, it's pretty significant. Uh, you look at the OEMs, and it was great to see the, the Boeing order yesterday, and you know, good for Boeing. But it's going to take them a long time to continue what, to get their supply chain and their, their manufacturing processes. Are you settled. done putting the pods in on the long flights? How, are you halfway through doing that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The seats that go down? What, what, well, what percentage are you? Are you still working on that? It's expensive. We're, right? we're, we're, we're probably 80 to 90 percent complete. You are. Yeah. And, and so coast to coast, how, how many are pod? Because I, I got stuck on one that wasn't a pod. It's like I'm going coast to coast. Where's my pod? <laughs> and and, and what, can, can you make a pod with a shower? Is that asking too much? Pricey. Huh? Yeah, that's, that's pricey, Mr. Mr. One yeah, percent. But you have to go to Dubai to get it. Look, no, I'm not one percent. I'm telling you, that, that one one percent. No, pr yeah, okay, so are you? But but private jet travel, and I'm talking about wheels up or net uh, net jets or whatever, that's still expensive. Yeah. But if you're gonna splurge and save up for it, and you're doing pretty well, you can maybe get on one of those pods. And that, that's your market. That's there. our market, and that's and especially the Especially going to Europe, Ed, come on. That's the market that's been growing faster than anything. Yeah. The private jet market's been growing the fastest. The premium But that's still, that's 0.1%. Or, or even a card is 0.01% probably. Yeah. But, the, but the thing that's different, Joe, is that the planes we're taking, it's not just the pods or the beds and the showers. We don't have showers. No. But it's, it's the, the larger legroom and coach. It's the, it's the business class domestic cabin. The planes we're taking today, the domestic right. planes, one third of the seats are in a premium 
category because that's where the market is. Ed, you talked about the constraint being the pilots. You have the agreement in principle with your pilots, um, an increase over the life of the contract of about 34%. That's the kind of number that when the headline came out, people said, whoa, I've never gotten a 34% increase in my pay. Um, but it's important to mention they didn't have a contract for the last four years. So some of this is catch up. And then obviously the, um, the acceleration, if you will, in terms of pay. Um, do you, are, how confident are you that you get this worked out? I mean, you obviously have an agreement in principle, um, but we've seen this before with a number of the airlines where there's an agreement and then the rank and file say, no, 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 we, we want more. And you've got the me too clause in there saying Delta pilots will make 1% more than American and United pilots. Isn't there a chance that this kind of, well, we got 1% more here, we got 1% more here, and it just continues to go on and on? Well, it's great that we got the deal done, and you're right, it's taken a, a pretty long time. We had COVID in the middle to get it negotiated. Uh, we have the best pilots. They deserve to be paid the best. We've said that all along, and when you're the best, it takes time to make sure it's the best contract. Out of respect for the process, I'm not going to answer any of your questions because <laughs> you know, we're going to let the pilots decide for themselves on that. But I, I hope uh, this is going to be something that the industry can get because I think it's an overhang on our industry, they have these open contracts and the unrest, and we need to continue to move forward. And the pilot resources in our country, we talk about labor being the biggest constraint in this country, the cost of labor and the access to labor. Pilots are the most constrained resource and the highest paid resource in our country. So it's most acute at the pilot. And, and is the pain point there within pilots overall, the training, it's sort of, a, you know, people I don't think at home understand. You just can't take a pilot and move them from one aircraft to another. Does that continue to be one of the, the, the tough areas where there's only so much training ability you can do? Yeah, we have a fixed amount of simulators. There's almost so much training. We had a lot of pilots retire during COVID. We've had to replace them. We replace pilots at the bottom. And then when you bring a new pilot in, everybody gets bumped up. So there's training. There's probably six or eight training cycles to each person you're bringing in. And so it's, it's an expensive long-term process. We estimated uh, the height of the, the downturn. It would take us about three years to get back, and that's kind of what's done. I want to ask an Andrew question. Maybe you want to, um, maybe you're going to, we're going to do, go the same place. Do you think you should be saving for a rainy day with, with black swan events? I mean, here you are, you know, geez, the happy days are here again. You're only one pandemic or one horrific, I don't know, conflict in some part of the world that, that spreads or something. I mean, the travel industry can always fall off a cliff and then you'll be back with your hand out to, to the federal government again. What, what should you do? What should you do to try to prepare for things like that? Is that incumbent upon you to save for a rainy day? Well, I don't know how anyone saves for a pandemic, uh, but what I can tell you what we're not doing is is uh, we're not buying back stock. We're not actually even doing a dividend because our focus is getting our debt down. What do you, would you want them debt. to do, Andrew, so that they don't need another more help from the government? Where, oh, goodness. I mean, if, if, if you were going to play for a pandemic, it? you'd have to save a lot of money. You'd have to so you'd have to be money. like a, a, a financial institution after, yeah. after the financial crisis. You'd have to like have, have fortress balance Or you'd balance be buying some kind of strange insurance yeah, policies. But then you won't make, which right. you couldn't afford. Sharehold, right. Shareholders won't benefit well, and growth will be impacted. The other issue is you're not going to do anything with infrastructure, with building, putting in new planes and stuff if you're doing things right. like that. Yeah, That's what that I mean. Just, so just go full bore and just hope well, for the best? Well, we've learned a lot, right? through this period of time. And I think one of the things we've learned about is, in terms of financial wellness, we learned about health and wellness on our about people in our planes and cleanliness. And there's, there's a lot of good that's come out of this dark situation. But no, I don't think you could ever 
financially put aside money to handle pandemic. But maybe very big adjacent question, because you, you guys were talking about unions and the union that you deal with. You know, I'm not going to ask you a question about your own union, but I'm going to ask you this. There is a massive union movement, or at least it appears that way in, the, in this country, whether it's Amazon or Starbucks or this or that, and a lot of companies who are pushing back on that. And I'm very curious whether, when CEOs call you, maybe they do, maybe they don't, or if they're watching us right now, what you tell them about working with unions. Is it doable? Is it not doable? Is it preferable? Is it not? Is it terrible? <laughs> no, no, honestly, I'm, I'm very curious what... Yeah, be honest and while you're negotiating with No, no, but, you, you're, <laughs> no, no, but you, you work with unions every day. Maybe you say, look, it's completely manageable. You should, guys should embrace it. There's a way to actually figure out how to do this. Or you should say, this is just, you're right, it makes it a lot more burdensome and it's just not working. Well, the pilots union are a unique union. They've been around for basically since the dawn of aviation. They, it, it's, it's the, the regulatory aspect of piloting, the technical aspect, the safety aspect, right. the union plays a very important role assisting the pilots and we work alongside them. That said, our other employee groups are not unionized, as you also right. know. And my job, when people ask me what my job is, to take care of my people. And as a leader of the company, the more you pour into the people, the question is who do they work for? And we do a great job, and Delta is number one in the industry because we have the best people. I, I really and, thought and you were going to say, my job is to keep them unionized. I really did. Uh, <laughs> and that, but that would be, then you'd be well, Howard Schultz or Jeff Bezos or any. And I would just say, okay, so we've gone from 40% unions to 7%. And now we're hearing about, we're back to 7, we're back to 7.1%. It's not, we're reading about it and there's don't a rail strike and everything, but it's not back, it's not back. We're us. glad you're here. <laughs> we're glad we could all be here together. Thanks for the, uh, the update on the, uh, the guidance. Uh, you guys heard it. I mean, it's, great. it's not slowing down 23 and 24. It's going to be a big year coming up. I, did, yeah. I didn't realize the numbers just in terms of 1.3% of GDP, what that means. You can say, go back over 40 years, for year in and year out. I'm going to show that this morning yeah. at the, the investor. It's, a, it's an interesting, uh, interesting chart. Right. Okay. Thank no you. No buybacks or dividends, though. Or what not, do the investors say about that? We've got to pay down our debt. I like it. All right. Black swans everywhere. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Coming up. Thanks, uh, Phil. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> thanks for, for getting here. Yeah. Well, you know. Just down the street. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. You couldn't find Times Square. Can you direct me? <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod, Tesla's stock has never hit a lower price. Is it a risk or a buy? And what about the cars? People that I love and respect, they say Model S is the greatest car they've ever had in their life. Now you're, sell now you're selling Teslas. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Hugh Ander. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Tesla shares continue to face pressure after reports of production slowdowns. Tesla's market cap has continued its downfall, briefly falling below $500 billion for the first time since November 2020. Tesla has underperformed versus traditional automakers since uh, Elon Musk took over Twitter. Uh, the decline prompted one of the company's largest retail shareholders to call for the board to uh, perform shock therapy to resuscitate the stock price by way 
uh, of a share buyback. Musk tweeted last night, I will make sure Tesla shareholders benefit uh, from Twitter long term. We should let people know we're talking about how you charge at homes. Yes. I, I'm, I'm changing my opinion. I may buy a plaid. I mean, just to, just to offset a lot of the people you're talking about. I may, I may buy a couple of them. Now, but, but when I... Sam Bankman-Fried had a Corolla. <laughs> so just think about that. <laughs> but at home, to do it overnight, can I just put a run an extension cord out there from one of my outlets? I think or, technically you can, but it's very slow. How, how slow? Could I do I it overnight? I think it's super slow. Like maybe not even you'll get the full So what do I need? What if I want a half hour charging? Oh, I don't think, I, don't, I think you have to pay serious How money. much? I don't know. I'm not an electrician, but you, you know, buy a special you have to plug. Order, they're you telling have to me buy the special plug. How long do I have to wait for this plaid thing? With the help of an electrician, you can install a wall connector to charge your Tesla Model S, your plaid, or your Model X at your home. It will fully charge your Tesla in six to nine hours, or okay, your so Model overnight. X battery in six and a half. I'm just telling you, like people that I love and respect, they say Model S is the greatest car they've ever had right. in their life. And now you're, sell, now you're selling Teslas. Now I'm and thinking about years, buying one to offset okay. the people that you're, the woke snowflakes that aren't going to uh, buy Tesla but For anymore. years you would never buy a Tesla, remember? Yeah. Up until just about like yeah. a month ago. But the pan, the, uh, the Taycan, the Taycan I like, but I don't think it has the technology uh -huh. of the. Uh, uh -huh. Gordon's description the, of it being a MAGA hat, that's what got you in? Yeah. That might be yeah. it. No, I'm not MAGA anymore. <laughs> I'm anti-MAGA. got a license plate. I'm a Florida guy now. And that's the pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can get extra links and video from our show and this podcast if you follow us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.